Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and truth. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Listen, before we take and get into part two with McKenna Denson tonight, uh, it's been a year almost, October 31st, since we launched Heart of the Matter 2.0 with that inflammatory introduction and me dressed as Martin Luther prancing around Salt Lake City, pounding on doors and uh, throwing out attacks on local churches. This October 31st, one year exactly, well, on Tuesday night, October 30th, we're going to announce the single most important effort we have ever taken in the history of this ministry, ever. It is going to be loved and appreciated by folks uh, in the future and it will be rejected and maligned by some in the very near present. But we don't care because we are moving by the spirit of the living God and can't wait to share it all with you. So please pass the word Tuesday night, October 30th, a live show at, uh, right here on HOTM.TV and we'll be presenting something that we believe is going to make a substantial difference in helping people to understand God and Jesus and the Spirit, the Bible and Christianity today. With that, let's go to part two with McKenna Denson. Part two, McKenna Denson, welcome. Thank you for uh, going through this ordeal a second time. Yes, thank you. Uh, we notice automatically that there's something's changed between last week and this week. <laughs> Yes, I have a new shirt. Yes, and yes. will you tell us what that B-I-T-F-D-W-T means? I can. It means burn it the down with truth. Burn it the flock down with truth. Right, and it's from a guy named New Name Noah. New Name Noah, yes. also known as Mike, Mike Norton. Norton. Mike's been on the show, and uh, so is he selling these? Where can people get these? Um... And why number 38? That's a great number. Oh, okay. Did it, you pick that? I did not. Okay. It's random, but it's a great number, isn't it? 38. And how do people access these shirts? I don't know, but I, we might be able to put a link at the end of your show. Okay. If, if, we will do that. New Name Noah, you're putting out some good shirts uh, because we want everything that's not true to be burned the frick down. <laughs> <laughs> and on the back, it says New Name Noah. It does. It says New Name Noah on okay. the back. So this is what you get. This is the back, New Name Noah. And the variety of colors? Well, I know that there's black and pink. Okay. But beyond that, I don't know. They can check the link. Excellent. Yeah. We'll figure the link out and get Thank it to you. you for those of you who want to be wearing one of those. I want to wear one. Okay. We need silence in the, uh, in the audience, please. Uh, we, I cut you off, I think, a little bit short. There's a couple things that uh, you may want to bring forward. One of them, I think, plays into it, and it has to do with your hand. My hand? Yes. My, yes. So I have this, um, I have a short finger. <laughs> I, did, I did that out loud. That wasn't just a thought bubble. It burst. Okay. So I have, yeah. So um, when I was five, I said the F word. Um, and I got in trouble, and so my stepfather was going to cut my hand off. So we're in, you know, he has this axe, and he's about to go down, and I found the 
I don't know, the adrenaline somehow, and I pulled my hand back, and all they got was the tip of my finger. All they got. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it is it's not right there pretty, level with everything else. Yeah, right there level. And you can tell it was a chop off because my daughter did that in a slushy, mach slushy machine, and her oh. finger looks just like yours. Bless her. Yeah, so I Kindred can see spirits. it was a chop. It's a chop. And that definitely would play into your response to uh, men, males, and their authority, their power. Kay. All the things, I think, that uh, play into what we're going to talk about next. Okay. The MTC. Uh-huh. Provo? Oh, yes. Tell us what, as a, a good advisor of mine said, walk us through that. Walk us through that. Yeah. So um, I got to the MTC. I was alone. Um, there were a few of us that were alone, didn't have family there. Um, the MTC was overrunning with parents and crying children and grandparents crying and weeping and tissues everywhere. But there was a small group of us that didn't have family. I don't know if they came from different parts of the country or if it was just too expensive to bring their families out or maybe they were, like me, the only member. Um, that night, after all the parents and family left, we had a meeting in the auditorium and Joseph Bishop singled me out and asked me to bear my testimony. And for those who don't know what that means, it means you stand up in front of the congregation and you talk about your love of the Savior, um, why you're wanting to serve a mission, what brought you to that point. And so I did that. And then the next day... I'm going to interrupt you just for a okay. second because some will be watching. Uh, MTC stands for Mission Training Center, and I think they have several around the world now. They do. But in uh -huh. that day, it was probably only Provo, Utah. It's a big campus. It's all for missionaries for the Mormon mm -hmm. Church who are going to go out on their mission. And if you're English speaking, you stay there for like two and a half weeks. And if you're foreign, you stay for... Two months. Two months. You learn the language, and they're really good at teaching you the language. And that that MTC has a guy called a president and he presides over all those couple thousand missionaries who are in there their food their housing counseling talking and this Joseph Bishop was the president of that campus it's large it's very impressive and all these people he singles McKenna out to bear her testimony which means which means I stand up and, and explain why I love the Savior and and what God means to me and why I'm serving a mission. And then the next day we all meet together as new missionaries. So when I got there, there were about 1,200 missionaries that got there on the same day I did. And they got new missionaries every week. So the next day I bore my, well, the first night I bore my testimony, the next time he asked me to give me the prayer. I don't remember at this point if it was opening prayer or closing prayer to the meeting. And how big was this meeting? 1,200. So you it were doing it for the of, whole... No, no, no. That's just the group that came in The new in arrivals, with me. though. But that's new huge. New arrivals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was pretty huge. And that's, that is really being called out as someone special. Oh, yeah. I was all that and a bag of chips. No, but it really is. Yeah, I mean, if it was. you get asked in the Mormon church by the president to come up before all your peers, 1,200 mm -hmm. to give a testimony. And then bonus. And then the next day, a prayer. Give your prayer. There's something, There's special something about going you. on. Joseph Bishop saw something special in you. Didn't he, though? Yes. Yeah, he did. He saw I was vulnerable and broken. Yeah. That's what he saw. Uh, yeah. So, and how do you know that? Keep going with it. Well, the, you know, I'm. It's it's 
kind of speculation on my part. I don't really know how he knew, but I, I have an idea. Okay. And I'll throw this out as my opinion because I can't, I haven't validated this quite yet. Yeah. Um, so I gave my testimony, I gave the prayer, and then now we're settling into the routine of the MTC. So I am in my Spanish class and I have this wonderful teacher, Stacy Ballard, Elder Ballard's daughter. Mm. And I remember being called out of class and I'm being called to the mission president's office and I'm thinking, okay, so there were, I don't know how many thousand missionaries there were at the MTC at that time, but I'm thinking, okay, the MTC president doesn't interact with missionaries. Mm -hmm. He's like the CEO of a company yeah. and he doesn't talk to the underlings. He does all the admin stuff. So. To be called to the mission president's office, you did something you shouldn't have done. I'm thinking, did I get a ticket I didn't pay for? Did I swear? Yeah, I probably did. Okay, so am I going to get home for, set home for that? Is there anything I didn't repent of? You know, I'm just going through this whole laundry list of things that I could have done. I get to the office and I walk in the door and he's behind his desk. He stands up. There are three other sister missionaries in there. I'm looking around. I'm like. Hi. Well, what the hell am I doing here? So I sit down and they all hi and, and the conversation starts out and the common denominator between those other three sisters and me was our sexual trauma as children. So I'm in this room with the MTC president behind his desk and these other three sister missionaries and the questions and the conversation was all about our sexual trauma. What kind of trauma? Was it um, penetration? Was it touching? Was it, you know, and I remember thinking to myself, okay, I have this dialogue in my head. Okay, I feel really weird here, and this doesn't feel right. Oh, but he's the MTC president. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, but this is weird, and I don't usually talk about this stuff with people I don't know, but he's the MTC president. Mm -hmm. So then I had to overcome my uncomfortable carnal mortal person to think okay so he's the MTC president he's the MTC president he's the MTC president so therefore he's the MTC president and it's not him it's God and he's telling us how special we were and how much of a difference we were going to make in the world and that we were selected to be abused Ooh. and that it was going to make us more empathetic to others and that we were we were called to this then we were more righteous and I remember thinking to myself, okay, I, 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 I don't know about all that, but okay, God's telling me this. It wasn't Joseph Bishop, it was God, because he's that conduit to God. So at that time, Joseph Bishop was the highest ranking Mormon person I'd ever known, and he's called me out twice to bear my testimony, to give the prayer, and I'm in this room of these women, and he's elevating us. So I'm looking at these other sister missionaries and they're just these beautiful women and they just are so loving their countenance is just they're just everything about them they're there for the right reasons and I'm thinking I don't belong here <laughs> I don't belong here I'm not I'm not like them I'm not beautiful I'm not I don't have a countenance I just want to be here but they need to be here they deserve to be here so I'm wondering, is God trying to tell me something? You know, is he saying, you really need to go home? I don't know. So I went back and forth. That conversation lasted over an hour. I remember that. 
And then he started calling me out of class again. The second time, so I sat next to a sister missionary. She was on my right-hand side. And the other two sisters that were over to my left, I never saw again. I don't know if they went on their missions. I don't know if they were just too damn smart and just decided never to come back. But I was groomed with this other sister missionary. Um, and what was really unusual is, so in the Mormon church, a title is really important. If, you, if, if you're a bishop, Sean, I wouldn't call you Bishop Sean. I'd call you Bishop McCraney. I would never call you Sean. I would never call you Mr. McCraney. I, McCraney, sorry. I would always call you Bishop or Bishop McCraney. Joseph Bishop wanted us to call him Joe. Whoa. And he called us by our first names. Whoa. So even all these years later, when I was remembering, well, doesn't matter. I only knew this girl's first name. I didn't know her last name. I guess if I'd looked at her name tag, I could have known. But we've referred to each other in the first person, wow. which is very unusual. Yeah. It was very, it was too informal. It, it, was, it was weird. It was just weird. He broke down a wall. A huge wall. Yeah. yeah. And for those of you who don't know, when you're on a mission, you call everybody elder or sister or president. Yeah. You never, you don't even know Ever. their first name. Never. Unless you're really close to your companion, yeah. you might know you might their first hear. name. It's like their but secret name. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like new name Noah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So that was that was off-putting. So then I, I had I think three other um, meetings with this woman, and I remembered her particularly well because she told a story that I remembered, and I and I remember I was mortified. Oh my gosh, when she told this story. So here I am, 21 years old really not very self-assured, self-aware. Um, and she's talking about this time when she went to the prom with a boy and she fell asleep on his shoulder and she drooled all over his tux. And I remember thinking, oh, I would never tell that story on myself, never. Of course I would now, I think it was funny. But at the time, I just didn't have that kind of self-confidence. And there she was, you know, telling that story. But that's one of the reasons I remembered her name was because of that one just cute little funny silly story that mortified me. You know, I had to be perfect. I had to appear perfect. I would have never told that story at that age. So, yeah. She did. Yeah, it was really cute. It was really humanizing, mm -hmm. you know. And then, you know, our conversations were about what happened, when it happened, how it happened, where it happened, all kinds of intimate things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so how much time had you been in there? Because when you first got there, you did the testimony. Then the next day you did the prayer. Right. Ballard's daughter calls you. How long had you been there uh, at this point? Was it a matter of only a week? or? No, it was about a month, I think. About a month. Yeah, it was a process. It didn't happen overnight. I see. Like, he didn't take me out of class every day. I see. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't really tell you the time frame. I don't know how often... I know that I had, I believe, three private meetings with this other sister, um, and only the one where there were four of us, and then it was just one-on-one. -on -one. And he had these crazy stories, like he, um, one time he called me in, and he said, okay, so you can't go to Colombia because they're killing Americans for every, I think he said 10 Americans for every one Colombian arrested on drug charges. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, I don't want to go there. So he said, we're, we're starting a, this is kind of funny. This, uh, this, this kind of made me go, wait a second. 
He said, we're going to start a Spanish-speaking branch in Tokyo. I'm like, okay, really? So then he sat me down. We're start, you know, and then, of course, the conversation moves on from there, and he starts talking about his um, sexually inappropriate things with his wife. So, and those are stories that he talks about, and it's in the recording. Um, yeah, that was weird. It was just weird. really uncomfortable. It's like the radar goes off. Well, the radar goes off, but at the same time, he's the MTC president. Yeah. What, what a conflict. It was, ter it was a terrible conflict. Mm. And I started isolating myself from my companion, and she actually stepped away from me. Um, I don't blame her. I mean... I'm, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm being called out of class and I'm not talking and I come back and I'm like, not talking. So she joined up with this other companionship and um, Sister Ballard at first was very friendly and with me and then I think I pulled away, so she pulled away. It was like, okay, there's something weird about this girl. I don't know what's going on with her, but it's something because she's always called to the mission president's office. So, mm -hmm. So uh, now, if you would, Take us to the day. The day. Day, night, morning, afternoon. Okay. Um, I can't talk about the rapes specifically because I haven't taken my deposition yet. Oh, okay. Um, it is in my press conference. I talked about it. Um, I can tell you that he took me down into the catacombs of the MTC. And is access to that like an, a door that's in the MTC hallway that got, I mean, the MTC is full of missionaries running by. Is it like, oh, let's go to this door, or is it like, you have to go, do you remember, do you have to go through some maze to find this? That's the accessibility. It was a couple of locked doors, hmm. and it was downstairs. And do you remember how he accessed you? Did he call you out of class? He had already called me out of class, and I was talking to him, and he said, you know, I have this special room where I do all of my spiritual preparations, where I do all of my meditations and whatever. Do you want to see that room? And I'm like thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this is like, there's a celestial room in the MTC? So the celestial room is like the last room in the temple that you go through, and it's where you sit, and it's beautiful, and it's peaceful, and it feels eternal. And I thought, there's a celestial room in the MTC. Yeah, I want to see that. I'm like, yeah, I'd love to see that. Mm -hmm. But inside, I'm like, yeah, who's ever seen that in the MTC? It makes total sense. Well, it, yeah, but that was also, you know, he... he he played on my ego. He played on my vulnerability. He played on my lack of self-esteem. He played on the fact that I was broken and needed nurturing, and that's what he did. He completely manipulated me. So here I think I'm going to this celestial room, and we go down the stairs, and it's this hallway that is, anyway. So in the room, he doesn't have a full erection. He only penetrates about an inch and a half or two inches. He pulls away to make himself hard again, and that's when I was able to kick and get away from him. So when I was getting up to leave, he said, no one will believe you. Look at you. Look at me. Look at you. Look at me. So I remember thinking, nobody would believe me. And I left that room, and I don't remember if I had my shoes or I didn't, but I remember going to my, my dorm by myself and going to bed and pretending I was asleep and I was catatonic. I couldn't move, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed, I couldn't get up, I couldn't do anything. I was just in a different place. And a woman came in, and I don't know, 
who she was, except I think she was an employee uh, of the MTC. I don't think she was a teacher, but she came in and checked on me, and I was sick. I wouldn't talk to her. A couple things. For those of you at home who don't know, special rooms are uh, really big within Mormonism. There's a subculture where the boys and girls all get together with their groups, at least the boys did, and they want to know about where the Ark of the Covenant's kept, and what special room in the temple, and where is the, all this happen, the Holy of Holies, and does Jesus appear to the prophet in one of these special rooms? Special rooms, so it really makes sense if he said to you, you know, I have a special room, that you would, as a faithful Latter-day Saint, bought the prophet, bought the Book of Mormon, bought all that, right. say, wow. Bought that too. Wow, yeah, yeah. I, I'm special. I, I get to go to the special room. I paid a dime for that, exactly. Yeah. So that yeah. makes great sense. I also see your allegiance to Sam because of this privacy issue of this man of authority getting you in a private room mm -hmm. and why you would suggest that that is so deleterious to most relationships because so much bad can happen like it did to you. Can happen. So, can happen. So that makes sense to yeah. me and I get mm -hmm. that. Um, you can't, I don't know how to say this so I'm just going to ask. We hear in, in law enforcement things of she was brutally raped. And so I'm assuming that he didn't brutally rape you as, as the way that they would describe that. So how, uh, it's a sensitive because I'm not questioning, I just am curious how the manipulator- Oh, I'll straighten you right out. How does the manipulator get you to a place where he can rape you? Um, you have to listen, I can't repeat it. You'll have to listen to my that recording. Uh, no, not even the recording, but um, my press conference. Okay. But I thought it was sexual assault. For years, I referred to it as sexual assault. I didn't know I was raped until the BYU police told me you were raped. Mm. And then oh, I, went, I remember I went, that. Wait, what? What? No, I wasn't. Mm. Oh, yeah. If what you say is what happened, you were raped. I was like, oh my gosh. Mm. Then I was really mad. I was like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Because for, I thought that in order for it to be a rape, that um, he had to ejaculate. And he couldn't even get a full erection. So I didn't realize any penetration, any, with an object or with a person, is rape. Mm -hmm. I you, know that now. You, I'm sure you probably know, but how old was Joseph Bishop at this time? I think he was 50s. 50s. Yeah. And I yeah, don't know 55, this, but does, he's the father of how many children? Mm, I think he has five boys. All boys? Yeah. All right. Is his, do you know if his wife is still alive? She died. She died. 12, 13 years ago. I see. So did you, uh, how did you recover? Were you able to kind of compartmentalize all that and just say, what did you start to think? I mean, what? I, this I is such a mind fault. screw. Oh. I thought it was my fault. I thought that... Um, I put myself there. I had these little, you know, red flags going off, and I still went. Um, I was suckered into thinking there was this amazing room. Um, it was my fault. I, it was my fault because I put myself there. Just like the date rape to me was my fault because I put myself in that situation. Um, and then I didn't want to believe it happened, so I just tried to push it away like it didn't happen. Um, and then I had to go through this process of 
trying to convince myself that it was a one-person thing and that it wasn't the church. So that was easier. But what he did to me physically wasn't as bad as what my stepfather did. Mm -hmm. So that was easy. Okay. But what he did to me spiritually, mm -hmm. I will never recover from. Mm -hmm. So what he did was so much worse. Because he used his priesthood authority and power to manipulate someone that he already knew was bruised and broken. And um, it's all unconscionable. But yeah. that extra, extra detail is just the most despicable. You know? I think so. Yeah, it's just horrible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A young girl trying to do good in her life after a, a heinous upbringing goes into the MTC and meets with this predator. It's mm -hmm. just disgusting, and it's just, in God's name, it's just horrific. I'm so sorry. Um, it makes you angry. Elizabeth Smart, when she was kidnapped, the whole thing was, within the LDS culture, there is that authoritarian presence where if a male says, come with me, you just kind of oblige. My wife tells me stories when she was a young girl and young women's, and, you know, the bishop said this, and you just... You, you just, just go along. You just go along. Mm -hmm. And so, taking everything you told us in part one, adding in the authority, the priesthood, his grooming of you, uh, his special little room, uh, I mean, it was just, it's just unbelievable how horrible. How did you cope from that point, and did you go to Columbia? Um, I did not cope, and I did not go to Columbia. Um, I wasn't going to Columbia anyway. I was sent to Washington, D.C., and I was in a companionship. So there were, we were in a, three, a group of three. Um, I was with a companionship that was already established. I was waiting for a visa or a different mission calling. So I started having physical reactions, so, and I couldn't label it. I can now, but at the time, I didn't know what was going on with me. So I started shaking and I couldn't get control of myself and I was embarrassed and I was ashamed. I didn't want anyone to see me. I didn't want to explain it. So I pretended that um, I left my camera in the car. I didn't pretend that, but I pretend like I had to get it out of the car. So while they were getting ready for bed, I was still dressed and I ran to the elevator. We were in Arlington, Virginia, a very tall apartment complex. And I went downstairs and I ran out into the parking lot and I just started hyperventilating and, and I almost started throwing up and I was shaking and I couldn't I couldn't get control of my physical body. And then, I don't know how long it was, couldn't have been that long, but the sisters came down. They're like, what's the matter with you? I was like, um, somebody tried to rape me. Yeah, that worked. So I don't know, I don't know what they did. I don't know if they called the district leader or if they called the mission president directly. I don't know, but I was sent to Provo, um, lived with a Mormon family. They sent me to this therapist who was horrible. He was horrible. One time, one interview. LDS? Yes. One hour. He talked about himself. And then um, he said to me, you have a secret. He was really creepy about it. You have a secret. You have a secret. And I'm like, uh, yeah, and I am sure as hell not telling you. Anyway, I didn't talk to him, wouldn't see him again, didn't like him, didn't trust him. Then I had to go see President Monson to be able to go back out in the mission field. Wow. Mm -hmm. Was he the, the, the president then? No, he was just a general authority. Oh. How was that? 
Did he talk all about himself? Because he's known for doing that too. Um, Put up boots. Yeah. No, he. Um, the interview was interesting. But what's more interesting is, I don't remember how I left. Mm. I remember I was so agitated, and so upset. I, I, I was shaking, and I don't, I don't know why. I don't know what the conversation was. I don't know how the conversation turned. I had control of the conversation because he was just asking questions, and so I was just answering questions. And then we got to a point where the conversation changed. I don't remember where it went. I just remember my physical reaction to it. Um, and I don't remember driving from Salt Lake back to Provo other than I was just a wreck. I was, I probably shouldn't have been driving. I was physically a wreck. And so life goes on. What happens now into adulthood, into all your children? I mean, where, where are you in your head? You're going to the ward. You're the relief system. What, what's happening? So I got married. Um, okay. So I got married. No, I lied. Let me back up. Back up. So, um, I had no money to go to school, so I went to Taiwan. And I learned some Chinese, and I learned um, how to teach English. I did oh. ESL and, and learned some Chinese. And then came back, to, went to UVU, which was Utah Valley Community College at the time. Um, and I met someone that I just fell in love with to this day. The only man I've ever loved. Wow. Um, sent him on a mission. His parents just thought I was the best thing ever. <laughs> so, you know, and then I didn't deserve him. I didn't deserve his family. They loved me. They adored me. I loved and adored them. But I had all this stuff from my childhood and President Bishop. So I started dating someone that I felt I deserved more, oh. for lack of a better word. So we were engaged, and I, and I remember telling him what happened with Joseph Bishop and that I felt like I needed, I needed to take that forward. He said, no, you need to leave that alone, let it go. I said, I don't think so. I, I really feel it's been three years. I think I need, to, I, I, I need to tell somebody. He said, no, don't do it. I don't support you in that. I said, okay. Well, I told anyway. So I called my bishop, Ron Levitt, and I met with him and told him what happened at the MTC and he was um, not real happy and he made some calls and he arranged for me to meet with a guy named Elder AC, Carlos AC. He was in the 70s. Apparently he was over the missionary department, mm -hmm. I think, at yeah. the MTC. Well, I didn't know. I didn't even know who he was. So he came and my fiance at the time drove me to meet him and they shook hands and then he waited out because he didn't come in the meeting with us and at the end elder ac said that he would get back to me he would investigate it and get back to me and i'm so sorry that happened to you and blah 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 and then i got married and moved to taiwan and i was there for almost four years so I never really thought about it i mean i turned it all over to the church which is what we're supposed to do right so i came back from taiwan had two babies in taiwan um nicole and amanda came back, got divorced, and I was like, you know, I wonder what happened with that. So for the next 30 years, been reaching out every few years, going, okay, so uh, 
Whatever happened with that? So AC never followed up, uh, from what you can tell. For, he never followed up with me. Never with you. Never with me. Mm -hmm. Go back really quickly to the MTC. You'd been in there about a month when Bishop uh, does his deed. Did you see him again? Does his deed? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I saw him a lot. Oh, you did? I would not see him personally. He would try to call me out of class. I wouldn't go. Um, so his office was across from the cafeteria, so we had to pass in front of this area, and he would always try to beckon me over, and I'd say, no, I'd look away. And so even when he would try to call me out of class, I wouldn't go. And I remember one of the sisters in the class who wasn't my companion, she says, you're not going? Mm-mm. The MTC president's calling you. You're not going? I said, mm-mm. Yeah, he tried. Mm-mm. Hell no, more like. So, uh, two children, Taiwan, you're back, you've been divorced, you're 30 years of trying to, every couple of years it comes to you, I should do 30 something. Years 30, 30 years now. 30 years now. Yeah. So however long it was. Yeah. And then something happened with uh, recently, it's really been recent, hasn't it? Well, yeah, a little bit, but in, in 2010, I was in Pleasant Grove. That's Utah. I, that's Utah. I had my five-year-old with me, Emily. She was uh, four, four or five at the time. And I was, I was kind of angry. I'm like, okay, so why do I not get to know anything? So I talked to the local leaders there and they're like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. So I called Salt Lake myself and I got transferred around. And I got somebody on the phone and I said, look, here's what happened. He sexually assaulted me at the MTC, 1984. I talked to Elder AC. I just want to know what happened. Was there a court? Did he deny it? Did he lie? Did he call me a liar? What happened? And he said, you're not entitled to know. I said, I'm not, ent I'm not entitled to know. I I'm, I'm the victim. Mm -hmm. He says, you're not entitled to know. You, we can't tell you if there was a court, if he, anyone ever spoke to him, if he ever talked about it. You're not entitled to know. And we're thinking, oh. I said to him, I have a gun. I know where he lives. I will shoot that bastard myself. A few minutes later, police are at the door. Wow. And I said, look, he sexually assaulted me at the MTC. I said, I'm really angry. They won't tell me anything. I think I have a right to know if there was a counsel. So they said, do you have a gun? Yes. Can we see it? No. Why not? It's in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. <laughs> oh, okay. So no charges. I mean, it could have been, you know, Terroristic threatening could have been anything, but no, they just let it go. I thought. Was crikey. this the Pleasant Grove Police? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So, 2016 comes along, and it's the fall. And my daughter Emily says, "Mom, did you know that Nicole's dad, this is my only husband for four years, um, is in the state presidency?" I'm like, "What? Yeah, he's in the state presidency." I said, "No, he's not." Yeah, he is. I said, "He he can't be." He is. I said, are you sure? How do you know that? So she tells me and I'm like, okay. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, this guy owes almost $70,000 in back child support. And he's in the state presidency and I'm livid. I'm thinking, you know, this is a boys club. What the hell? Yeah. So I'm sitting there at my office and at this point I'm working for an interior designer in Pueblo, Colorado. And I'm thinking, this isn't right. This isn't right. So, I had met with my, no, that's 2017, sorry. I had met with my, my 
stake president in fall of 2016 told him this whole story. He said, I'll get to the bottom of it. Never heard a word. So this is almost a year later when Emily comes and she says, hey, did you know that he's in the state presidency? I'm like, that's, that can't be true. How can that possibly be true? And that's when I'm like, you know what? I am tired of this shit. I pick up the phone and I call the MTC. Hey, do you have any information on Joseph Bishop? Nope, sorry, call the mission department. Call the mission department. Do you have any, any information on this guy? He served as a mission president in Argentina and then at the MTC. Uh, hold on, let me check. Send me around. Finally, I get somebody named Kessler on the phone, Jared Kessler. He's like, oh, yes, I have him. He was married to Rena. I said, I was thinking to myself, that wasn't his wife's name. His wife's name was Carolyn. I said, okay, thank you. He said, you want his address? I said, yeah, I'd love that. Thank you. Gives me his address in Arizona. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, huh. So I get on the church's website. I put his address in and it gives me his meeting house, his bishop, his stake president, and bonus, the missionaries. So I call the missionaries and this kid, Elder Star, bless him, bless this boy. Mm. I call him and I say, hi, um, I'm looking for someone I think is in your ward. I don't know if I have the right ward. His name is Joseph Bishop. He was mission president in Argentina and there's a group of people that would like to come and, and talk to him and see him. Kind of a surprise. He goes, oh, I don't know, let me ask my companion. So he gets back on the phone, he goes, oh, Joe Bishop, Brother Bishop, yeah, he's on our ward, you want his number? I said, yeah, that'd be great. Gives me a cell phone number. I'm like, okay, this is, this is interesting. What am I gonna do with this? Before you call him, how did you stay active in the church? I vacillated in my activity. My husband had 14 women during our marriage. So when we got divorced, he wasn't even disfellowshipped. He was put on probation. And that really pissed me off. Had, you mean, as in the biblical known As in sense? the biblical, well, orally, I think that's the same thing. All right. I don't know. He did something. He did, yeah. <laughs> he was quite intimate with other women. Yeah. All right. So. Um, and he's the one who was put in the state presidency, who was right. $70,000 behind in child support. Thank you, that's the guy. All right. So. Where, where was I? You were, uh, how did you stay involved? Oh, in the church. Yeah. I vacillated. Mm. Um, I believed the gospel was true, mm. but the more I saw human beings, the less I thought of the priesthood, mm. of the way that the church deals with members. Mm. Um, I was excommunicated when I was pregnant with Emily mm -hmm. because I had a baby out of wedlock. Mm. So I, I dated her dad for two years. Um, but I was excommunicated. But then I, when I looked back, I thought, you know, I bet he excommunicated me because I went to this bishop and said, Joseph Bishop from the MTC did oh. this. And he said, you're lying. That would never happen. Mm -hmm. you, that would never happen. You're, you're a liar. Mm -hmm. And I went, okay, well, I'm not going to talk to you again. And it was just a few couple months after that that he excommunicated me. So they me. used your pregnancy as a reason, but the real reason was that. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They so. do that. And that is not out of the ordinary. Yeah, it's not appropriate though. Oh no. So, so I, I'm sitting in my office, and I've got so I've got his phone number and his address, Joseph Bishop's, and I've got this. What do I do with this? I had already spoken to my stake president, one of many, and it had been about a year. And I thought I'm never going to hear anything, just like I haven't all these years. So what do I do? What do I do? Pick up the phone. I call the Provo Police. Okay, I need to report something that happened a long time ago. I don't even know if I have the right to report it at this point. 
it happened at the MTC. They said, well, you have to talk to the BYU police. I'm like, oh my gosh, crikey. Nobody's going to talk to me at the BYU police. So, get on the phone, leave a message. I'll leave a voicemail. Hi, <laughs> this is McKenna Denson. And so somebody calls me a little while later, this detective, his name is Bob Nelson. And he asked me some details. And I told him about what happened in Pleasant Grove. So he hangs up, and I guess he did some checking, and certainly there was a police report there. And um, he calls back, and I think we may have had a couple conversations that day or within the next couple of days. And then he, in, he calls and he says, would you be okay if my um, partner and I, Detective Long, come out and, and interview you in Colorado? And I'm like, wait, you're gonna, wait a minute. You're gonna fly out here to interview me? I'm, like, I'm looking around, you know, candid camera, is this real? You're going to come and interview me after all these years. I said, you're going to fly out here? And he says, no, we're going to drive. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's a long way to go. And he said, and then we're going to drive down and interview Joseph Bishop. I said, okay, great. This is like the 29th, I think, of November. So I hang up the phone, and I'm like, this is my only chance to get an apology out of Joseph Bishop, because he's going to prison. So... I made flight reservations, I rented a car, got a hotel in Chandler, Arizona, where he lives. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, whew, that was good. Now what? And I'm like, oh my gosh, what if he's not even in town? Oh, that was stupid. <laughs> so I get on the phone, I call him. Hi, um, you don't know me. I'm doing, I, I don't think I even gave a name. I'm um, doing a piece on priesthood leaders and the influence that they've had over generations and years of the service to the church. And what I'd really like to do, I've got a few um, temple presidents, and I understand you served as a mission president twice. He said, no, five times. <laughs> I said, oh. And then he goes on this, yeah, he goes on this big long thing for like 25, 30 minutes about all the joy I was going to bring to the world by writing about him. <laughs> And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the guy's a narcissist. Who knew? Yeah, who knew? So I, he, he arranges to meet with me, and he says, why don't you come to my house on Saturday, which I think was the second, at, I think he said, 2 o'clock. And I said, great, thank you. Click. I'm like, no way in hell am I going to his house. But, okay, we have something set. So I call my friend Rebecca, and Rebecca um, has her master's degree, and she is a absolute she is an absolute expert on narcissism she's like he's a narcissist i'm like i know who knew <laughs> so we spend the next oh i can't tell you how many hours of her kind of explaining what a narcissist is and how to draw him out and make him feel safe and because i had worked in substance abuse i understood addiction at least well enough to give him an out so i arranged this interview and i've fly out there and I spend the night in the hotel in the morning I call him and I say so I did have a temple president in Taiwan his name was Gillespie and he does live in, in Phoenix if he's still alive so I pick I pick up the phone and I, and I and I call Joseph Bishop and I say you know I'm so sorry um, President Gillespie and his wife are running a little bit behind would you mind terribly coming to my hotel at three o'clock instead of two o'clock or it may have been two o'clock instead of one o'clock or whatever it was he goes oh you want me to come to your hotel and I'm like, well, there's a conference room. He's like, okay, can I bring my wife and, and my son? And I said, absolutely, I'd love to talk to them. He said, they would love to talk to you. I thought, yeah, okay. So I said, that's great, but you have to know that part of the interview has to be one-on-one. -on -one. 
He said, why? I said, because people are usually more honest when they're not entertaining an audience. When, for example, if, if, you're, if you're relating something really deeply personal that happened as a mission president, sometimes it's easier just to explain it to me without having other people there or, you know what I mean? So he, um, I'm on the phone with my friend Rebecca, and we're on the phone for an hour. And so I've got my little notebook. I took some notes, generic, you know, where'd you grow up, where'd you go to school? You know, I, I looked so professional, except I had no computer. So I go in there, and I've got my little, my little tape recorder. And I go in, I'm on the phone, and I'm like, ah. I walk in the door, and he's sitting there. He's early. <laughs> I'm like, crikey, <laughs> Rebecca, he's here. I, so he stands up as he sees me walk in. I'm like, oh my gosh, he recognized me. He's like, hi, are, are, are you here to do, yeah, hi, nice to meet you, blah, blah. So I gotta go, Rebecca. So she's like, oh my gosh, call me. So I gotta ask one thing. Are you from Bishops and State President Magazine? I mean, what is this article for? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know. It was very MI5, I'll tell you that. It's wild. I like bumbled through it. Hounds and Horses magazine. Yeah. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Wow. So I, I, I get up and I shake his hand and I've got my recorder right here on top of my papers. And so I walk him into the conference room and I'm like, how am I going to do this? He cannot know I'm recording this. So I said, do you want some water? I need some water. Do you want some water? So I go out to the front desk and I buy some bottles of water. And I said, do you have any duct tape? He's like, do I have what? Duct tape, do you have any duct tape? He's like, no, why? I said, uh, do you have any tape, anything? He's like, I don't know, let me call maintenance. He's like, weirdo, <laughs> what the hell? So he gets on the phone, he's like, we don't have anything, but we have this packing tape, the clear kind that you would put over a box, you know? Uh, and so I'm looking at this tape and I'm like, this isn't gonna work. This isn't gonna work. So I tore off a big piece and I stuck my um, recorder on it and, I, and I'm like, how, what am I gonna do? Tell him, hey, look, an elf over there, squirrel. <laughs> so I dropped the water. 21 year old woman. Exactly, oh, there you go. So I, I dropped my water bottle. I hand his, him his water and I drop mine. And so as I lean down to get it, I tape it directly at him under the table and I'm thinking, Oh, crikey, is it even on? <laughs> I didn't even know if it was on. I was like, oh my gosh. You are very tricky. I'm, um, yeah. So keep going. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see this? Yeah. This is, this is actually a mic. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we start talking and, you know, go through the whole conversation. And the first 40 minutes is all about his accolades, all these great things he did. Um, his spiritual experiences, and then um, it was long. It was laborious sitting through all that, wanting to just reach out there and throttle him, you oh. know? It was hard. But then I turn the tables and we start talking about the MTC. And Before you turn the tables, mm -hmm. I just want to say something to the audience that uh, one of, I was LDS 40 years, but became a Christian and, and I studied Mormonism. And the, one of the major differences even though theologies can be close in many ways and, and practices can be close, yeah. one of the major differences between true Christians and true sold out LDS men and women is pride. Because they believe they're earning their way and their merits are going to make them gods and goddesses, yeah. that when they get to a place where they think they've arrived, like Joseph Bishop did, 
It is Boast City, and it's so oozing and despicable. So her story is just playing so well into the mindset you deal with here when you're living in Salt Lake. There is an entitlement. There is a pride that comes with the stalwart LDS family. And that's, this yeah. is, she's really playing into it so well. It's so, true. So, yeah. you, we don't know if the recorder's running. We don't know if the recorder's running. But at this point, um, so w the, the police, before they came, they told me, look, we called the prosecutor's office. What he did to you was rape. So we are going to prosecute this case. So I thought, okay, this is great. He's going to prison. But I want that apology because I will never get it. This is my last chance. So it didn't really matter to me if the recorder was working or not. Oh, okay. Because I knew he was going to prison. Um, but I thought maybe he would lie about it, but he might tell me the truth. So I was hoping the recording worked, but if it didn't, it was okay. So he goes on and on and on about all these things he did. His, his, now he's a doctor, Dr. Bishop, because he has his PhD. And I turned the tables and I started talking about the MTC. I said, I was at the MTC and when you were my mission president. He goes, oh, that's why you're so talented. And I'm like, is that, it? Is that right? Oh, boy. Really? Yeah. So then he, I said, do you remember me? And he asked my name. I told him my name. And he says, oh, I remember you. You had biker friends. I'm like, biker friends? I said, no. You're the girl that wanted her picture taken at the temple with. And I said, no. I said, I had a baby out of wedlock and you let me go to the temple and write a letter to her. But no, he says, no, you're, okay. Oh, you're the one that had the breast enhancement surgery. And I said, no, I had no boobs in the MTC. I was flat chested, I wore padded bras. So I'm thinking to myself, who the hell is he talking about? Wow. Who is he talking about? So he, anyway, we continue this conversation and he, he talks about taking me into the basement, but he, he says, he doesn't remember raping me. So we go through this conversation and the recording is two hours and 44 minutes long. So toward the end, and I don't know where it is exactly, finally I'm like, well, how many women are there? And he starts talking about these other women that he had assaulted. One, he says, was a sister missionary at the MTC, which is the woman who was with me being groomed. I asked her first name because I don't remember her last name. I said, do you remember so-and-so? And he says, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so. And I said, yes, that's her last name. I'd forgotten it all these years. I only knew her first name. He said, yes. I said, did you molest her? He said, yes. And I said, wait. He says, let me explain. I'm like, okay. And he said, um, she tried to commit suicide at the MTC and she was really depressed and she got counseling and the therapist wanted her to go live with him. So he assaults her at his house. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, was, I just wanted to slap him. Anyway, so he just keeps talking and we get toward the end and, and you know, he talks about other people and, and he, re he relates a couple of stories that he told me at the MTC. I start telling the story and he corrects it. For example, there was a story about, um, he, he said that he used to go with church leaders. I don't know what that means, but when you're the MTC president, what leaders are above you? I mean, would you consider a bishop a church leader or would you consider people above you a leader? Anyway, he said he, he went with church leaders to a hot tub or hot springs or something. And in my mind, I saw Wyoming, you know, because there's this great hot springs in Wyoming. So all these years in my mind, I'm thinking Wyoming. 
so I remind him of this. He goes, no, that was in Utah. And I said, and some woman took her bikini top off? He says, yeah, I remember that. But that was in Utah. I said, so I got my, my place mixed up. And then he talked about how he had this, his wife, I always imagined like a peasant blouse, which is a blouse with elastic around the neck all the way around. Um, he said she had a blouse um, that she would pull down, bare her breast during dinner. And I remember when I was in the MTC, I'm like, why is he telling me this? So I reminded him of that. And he goes, I oh, know it was a particular dress. I said, oh, because I always thought it was, I imagined something different when you told me that all those years ago. And you said that it was his wife. His wife. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we're, we're talking about this stuff. And so toward the end of the recording, I say to him, you know, he says, it's not that there were so many women. Because I'm like, how many women are there? And who are they? And, you know. He says, it's not so much that there are so many, it's just those that were there. And I was thinking, well, I don't even know what that means. But then toward the end, I say, well, can you, we're talking about, I don't remember raping you. And I said, well, can you imagine yourself doing that? And he said, oh, yeah. So I thought, that's all I need right there, you son of a bitch. Uh, McKenna, what in your, I'm sure people wonder this, uh, what was his uh, demeanor? How old was he then when, when this happened? Is, was he feeble? Was he This of being sound the mind? recording? The recording. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, if you can talk for 44 minutes about all these great things you've done yeah. in your life, yeah. he was very lucid. Okay. He wasn't on any kind of pain medication. Oh. The only thing that he couldn't quite remember, he couldn't figure out which woman I was. Yeah. So. That was interesting, but also his memory of what happened in that particular room was not the same as mine. And he told the BYU police that I expo he asked me to expose my breast, and I did, but that, w that never happened. I didn't have any breasts to expose. So I don't know who that was, but that's somebody else. Yeah. So we know there are other victims from all of that put together. Oh, we know all kinds of things now. Have any of them, to jump ahead, come forth? Any mm -hmm. others? Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, we can talk about that in the next part. Actually, we can't. We can't talk about that in the next part. I tell you that, McKenna. You I know. I, I, I try to drag it out of you, but <laughs> what can I say? Uh, is that because of the litigation? Court? Litigation. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, there is a litigation going on. So just to whet the appetite for next week, uh -huh. and w that's the recording. And before we whet the appetite, how did you get out of that room? How did it end? He had, how did you get your recorder? He had to use the bathroom. So I said, oh yes, right out there, right around the hall, whatever. And then I went rip and left. I was so done. I Good did not job. want to hear one more thing. I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want anything. I wonder what went through his mind. That, oh, I wonder why that young woman would leave. Hmm. She must be running to the presses to write <laughs> about me. I'll go home and tell my family. I'm so special. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Wow. Don't so you know. got out of there. And then we enter in to the explosion, the release of the tape, the everything from that point forward. And we're going to do that next, next week. week. Okay.